Hey, John, the latest one in will we'll add that much more time to class. We'll take it from the sermon. I guess that wouldn't work, would it? No, you'd be here all day. <laughs> <laughs> For the last one coming in. <laughs> oh, well, now, some of y'all may remember... Tell you what, let's pray together. <laughs> Get distracted. I was thinking about giving. I appreciate uh, the opportunity very much to be here, <clears throat> and uh, it was 2012 um, when I was here before, and uh, remember that uh, fondly, and as a, uh, I think, a testament to the congregation here, um, most, it takes most congregations a minimum of 10 years to recover from one of my meetings, and y'all did it in seven, so that's that's good, good for you. Um, but it is an honor to be here, grateful for the opportunity. It's good to be back out in West Texas again. Uh, we did live in Odessa about, uh, well, we were there 20 years ago. I uh, preached for the 21st and Eisenhower congregation there, and... Um, uh, only been back out here a couple of times, once for the previous meeting here, and then I think I did a meeting at Eisenhower a few years ago as well. So uh, we we loved West Texas when we lived out here, loved the people, and I still tell people <clears throat> whenever the conversation comes up, I have never been anywhere that had better-looking sunsets than West Texas. Now, maybe that's um, maybe I just haven't traveled that much. I don't know, but... Uh, uh, but I still believe that. We enjoyed that very much. Glad you're here this week. Open your Bibles, please, to Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah chapter 9. <clears throat> we'll look at a passage there in just a moment. But I want to call your attention to a, a story that I heard 
uh, not too long ago, or read it actually, about two preachers who were having a conversation. One of them was uh, a lot older than the other one. And the older preacher had been through a very difficult uh, time at the last place where he worked and served as a preacher. And the details of, of the circumstances are irrelevant. I'll just say that, um, that the man had been through a lot. False accusations that ultimately were shown to be false, and so he was exonerated uh, from the things he had been accused of. And it was just, it was a terrible, terrible period of time for that man. And so he was talking with this younger preacher, and they were talking about all those things that had happened over that period of time. And the younger preacher noticed that the more this older man talked about that period of his life, he noticed that the man was not expressing any kind of bitterness. He wasn't angry. Uh, he wasn't uh, bad-mouthing people. Uh, it, he, it, and it was, it was almost a positive-type tone in the man's voice. And so the younger preacher asked him, how, how have you been able to endure all of that? and yet not be bitter. I would think you'd be a very bitter, angry person because of all of that. And his answer was basically this. He said, the reason that I'm not bitter is because it was through all of that difficulty that I truly came to know God. And how can I be bitter when that difficult circumstance helped me to come to know God. That's an amazing thing to think about. I wonder if I were in a similar situation, if I would be able to respond the same way. It's a soul-searching question. But ultimately, that's what it's all about, is coming to know God. And that's why I ask you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 9. I want you to look at verse number 23 and also 24. Jeremiah 9, beginning in 23. Thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. God said to the prophet Jeremiah, there are a lot of things people could brag about. Wisdom, wealth, power. But he says, I don't want anybody that has any of those things to boast in those things. But if anyone wants to boast, some translations say glory, if anyone wants to glory in something, Let him glory or boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That's what it's all about, to know God. Jesus said in John 17, verse 3, this is life eternal. Now, if we stopped right there, he ought to have our attention, shouldn't he? If he's about to describe or or, uh, explain 
what the essence of eternal life is, then he ought to have our attention. And how would we, if we didn't know how John 17, 3 ends, how might we finish that sentence? This is life eternal. Think about that in your own mind for just a couple of seconds and see if you could come up with, what, how would you describe that? This is life eternal. Here's how Jesus did it. John 17, 3, this is life eternal that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's it. The essence of eternal life is wrapped up in knowing God and knowing Jesus Christ. God said, Jeremiah 9, don't boast in anything that you may think you have a reason to boast in. Boast in knowing God. That's what this week's about. This half week, right, going through Wednesday night. That's what our focus is going to be, the pursuit of God. How can we come to better know God? And so the question that really is going to be before us, at least this morning for this class session, is this question, do I know God? Do you know God? Now, if you are a Christian, and I suspect uh, most of us are, right? I, I, this, is, this is why we're here, right? Christians assemble on the first day of the week, and that's why we're here. But there may be some in the class this morning that are not Christians, but I suspect if there are, that number's probably few. So most of us are Christians. So, so if you're in that number, you may be thinking, yeah, I, absolutely. Obviously, I know God. I checked, I checked that box off the list a long time ago. I know God. So, next topic. Next issue. But I want to warn us, because I think there is a danger in thinking that just because we have, in one sense, found God... It's dangerous for us to stop seeking Him. Because yes, in one sense we have found God, but we still need to seek God. A deeper understanding of God, a deeper relationship with God. And so for this series of meetings that we're going to have the rest of this week, through Wednesday, I want us to focus our attention essentially on two things. And there, you know, those things will kind of branch off with each of these lessons. But first of all, we're going to consider God as He has revealed Himself to us in Scripture. And then in the second place, we're going to address also our hunger and our thirst for God. And are we genuinely and truly pursuing God in our lives from day to day? Right? So that's, those are broad topics, granted, and so we won't be able to exhaust everything Scripture has to say about all of that, but we'll focus on a few things that hopefully will be beneficial to all of us. Now, in our class period this morning, we're going to look at the pursuit of God from the vantage point of two Old Testament personalities. The first one of those is Moses. I invite your attention to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. 
Now, before we look at Moses and his continual pursuit of God, I want us to, to I want to set the stage a little bit and make sure we understand where Moses was in his relationship with God. Three times in the Old Testament, three times in Scripture, it is stated that God spoke with Moses face to face. One of those is in this chapter, Exodus 33, verse 11. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. We find the same language in Numbers chapter 12, verse 8, or at least it's similar language, mouth to mouth, I believe is the, the actual uh, language in Numbers 12. And then Deuteronomy 34, verse 10 is the third place where it says that God and Moses spoke face to face. So three times that concept is expressed regarding the relationship between God and Moses. Now that expression of speaking face to face is... Um, it's an idiom, it's a figure of speech that was not intended to convey the idea that Moses literally looked at the face of God, right? Because you remember, matter of fact, it's in this chapter, Exodus 33, verse number 20, uh, God said to Moses, you cannot see my face for no man can see me and live. So Moses was not able, nor was anybody able to, to see visually that with their own eyes the unaltered essence, full essence of God. It's, it's not possible for our feeble physical persons to endure that. All right, It's not what these physical bodies were made for. So when it says that they spoke face to face, he didn't literally see the face of God. It's a figure of speech, an idiom, uh, to describe the fact that when God and Moses conversed, God did not simply speak to Moses from the distance of heaven, but their relationship, their communication was on a very intimate level, person to person, if you want to up close and personal, however you may want to describe that, that's what's being, um, that's what's being conveyed. They had an, a very intimate, close relationship that involved that kind of close one-on-one -on -one communication. All right? Now, the Deuteronomy 34 passage, verse 10, that also references this face-to-face -face interaction, tells us that nobody else had that kind of relationship with God. That Moses, that no one else but Moses had that kind of closeness to God where they spoke in that fashion, face-to-face, -face, person to person, up close and personal, very intimate conversation. All right? You got that settled in your mind? Now ask yourself this question. How satisfying must that have been for Moses? Can you imagine that? We listen to God through His Word, right? And, and we're able to come to know God better through words on a printed page. And that's good. And, that's, and it's, there's obviously nothing wrong with that. That's the way God intended for us to be able to come to better and best know Him. Moses had something more than that. He had that personal, close, 
interaction, intimate conversation that nobody else experienced. Can it get much better than that? When you're talking about relationship with God, the pursuit of God, knowing God, how satisfying that must have been for Moses. Who could ask for anything more than that? Do you know who? Moses. He asked for more. Even though he already had this face-to-face, person-to-person, intimate relationship with God, referenced in Exodus thirty-three eleven, seven verses later, in verse 18, Moses wants more. Verse 17, the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. Then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. And God's response to that was, I'll, I'll, I'll parade my goodness before you and, and so forth. But here's the point I want us to think about. As good as it was, As close as it was, Moses said to God, I want more. I want it to be closer. I want to know more. I want to see more. Moses was a continual seeker of God. Even though he knew God and knew God on a more intimate level than anybody else ever had, he still sought more. Now the question for us for this week is how satisfied are we with our closeness to God? How satisfied are we with our relationship with God? When was the last time that we sat down and contemplated how close we are to God. When was the last time we took inventory of life and relationship and spirituality and all of that and, and did an assessment of how close we are to God? And then, if we did that, what was our conclusion? Were we satisfied? Did we, did we find a way to simply continue to go through life where we are? Or did we realize we need something more? When I think about this, about Moses, and I think about how close he already was with God, and then in, the, in almost the next breath he says, I still want to know more, that, that kind of cuts to my heart. Because it's easy for me in the busyness of life to, to, to be satisfied with where I am and to not try to pursue a relationship with God that's deeper and closer. And I think we make a grand mistake when we stop seeking God simply because we know that, at least in some sense, we've already found Him. And so this seeking of God is not something to check off of a box 
or to check off of the list and say, okay, I did that. Let me go on to other things. See, our pursuit of God needs to be continual. It needs to be daily. It needs to be regular because there are always going to be more things to understand. There are always going to be uh, elements of our relationship with God that can be better, that can be deeper. If you look in Exodus 33... Look at verse number 12. Excuse me, 13. Now therefore I pray you, this is Moses speaking to God, if I found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you. Let me know your ways that I may know you. When you think about the ways of God, the ways of God, meaning God's activities, God's will, God's, uh, God's work, God's actions, the things God does. Can we ever plumb the depths of the ways of God? Paul in Romans chapter 11 basically said we can't. Romans eleven thirty three and following. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past Finding out. In some sense and in some way, we will never truly understand all of the ways of God. Moses said, God, if you can show me your ways, I can come to know you. If the ways of God are beyond our ability to fully and completely grasp, then doesn't that mean there will always be more things that we can learn about who God is? In other words, for the rest of our lives, there will be something for us to pursue with regard to God and our relationship with Him. We will never have in this life a perfect relationship with God. That doesn't mean you quit trying. And it doesn't mean you give up. It simply means that the pursuit of God is something that is never finished. Never in this life is the pursuit of God finished. So, have we found God? Well, if you're a Christian, you have, yes, to some degree. But should we still seek God? Absolutely. Absolutely. And Moses is one example of that. Now, second example. We're going to look at David from Psalm 63. Psalm 63. This is a psalm believed to have been written by David on one of those occasions when he was being pursued um, and, and was out in the Judean wilderness hiding. Now, whether it was his being pursued by Saul or Absalom or whoever, he was was being pursued by somebody, enemies of some kind, and he is out in the desert wilderness area and pens this psalm. Psalm 63. Look at verses 1 and 2. O God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Thus I have seen you in the sanctuary. 
to see your power and your glory. Some translations, I will seek you in the sanctuary. David feels completely famished and describes himself as being in a dry and weary land where there's no water. David seems to be in in a dry and weary land in two senses. One, literally, because he's being pursued and he's out from where he normally would be. But in the second place, he's in that dry and dusty wilderness, spiritually speaking, as he's trying to wrestle with his circumstances and, and God's place in all of that. And so he describes himself in that way. I'm longing for God as one in a dry and dusty land. Now draw that picture in your mind. Put yourself in that place. You're walking across parched sand. The heat that's rising from the dunes in front of you is distorting the landscape ahead of you. And the more you walk, the more your strength escapes. Your mouth is like cotton. Your lips are cracked. At that moment, you want one thing and one thing only. What is it? Water. If you'll excuse me. (laughs) I talked myself into a drink. You want water. Everything else doesn't matter at that moment. You don't have the slightest care about what's happening on your favorite television show. You don't have the slightest care about your favorite sports team. You don't have the slightest care about your bank account, about um, entertainment choices, vacations, retirement. None of those things matter in that moment. The only thing that matters is water. That's how David describes his desire for God, right? You get that picture of how much water means in that moment. That's what David says his pursuit of God is like. My soul thirsts for you, he says to God, verse 1. My flesh longs for you. Just like someone would long for water in a dry, thirsty land. He is consumed with a longing for one thing and one thing only as he goes through this valley of despair. And that one thing is God. Does that describe your pursuit of God? Does that describe how deeply you long for God? Or if you were to make a list of the things in your life that you feel that passionately about, the things that you want 
more than anything else, where on that list would God be? Would he be on the list? David said, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. That word translated longs there, yearns, is a very, um, it's a very expressive word. It speaks of a desire so great that both the physical and spiritual exertion that it requires leads a person to physical weakness. Have you ever longed for something, yearned for something so much that, it just, that just longing for it made you tired? Maybe, maybe you've been in a position where someone that you love dearly is extremely ill. And you long so much for that person to recover. That, that your desire for their recovery is so intense that it alone wears you out. That's the kind of expression that David is saying to God about his desire for God. He describes the place where he is as a parched, thirsty, exhausted place. And we can be in a place like that spiritually. We go through valleys at times, don't we? When things aren't what we'd like them to be. Maybe it is physical illness or disease that, uh, that someone's going through. Maybe someone you're close to. Maybe yourself. Could be, could be a thousand other things that bring heartache and hardship to our lives that make us go through these spiritual valleys. When we go through those valleys, according to David, there is one thing and only one thing that can quench your spiritual thirst. And that's God. One of the things I find interesting about this is that David that David doesn't say I long for what God can give me but he longs for God himself. And it's because of David's deep desire for God that he says in Psalm 63:1 early Will I seek you? Earnestly, some translations have. <clears throat> the word comes from a, the root word for, for dawn, for the dawning of the day. And that's why it's translated early uh, in, in a lot of translations. But the idea is, this is an urgent matter. Early will I seek you. First thing of the day, I'll seek you. Earnestly, I'll seek you. It's an urgent matter. David's going to get started as fast as he can in seeking and pursuing God. But it's not just that. It's not just that the word can, can refer to the first action of the day. But it really carries with it the idea that this would be his foremost ambition throughout the day. Early will I seek you and earnestly throughout the day will I seek you. That's his pursuit of God. A couple of applications from Psalm 63 with regard to this pursuit. 
Notice in the psalm that David has occupied himself with thoughts of God more than with thoughts of the wilderness that he's in. This entire psalm, though it's couched in this scenario of where he's in this wilderness, really the whole psalm's about God, about the pursuit of God, seeking God earnestly, seeking Him in the sanctuary, verse 2. He speaks of the loving kindness of God, verse 3, praising Him, blessing God as long as He lives, verse 4, lifting up His hands in the name of God. And all of that being a satisfying thing for him, verse 5. I remember you on my bed. Again, verse 6. God. He meditates on God in the watches of the night. God has been his help, verse 7. My soul clings to you, verse 8. Your right hand upholds me. And then he addresses his enemies in verses 9 through 11 and how God will respond to them. So this whole psalm is about God. He occupies himself more with thoughts about God than with thoughts about the wilderness that he's in. David has his moments of focusing on the the difficulties of his life. There are other psalms that address that, Psalm 6, Psalm 13, and others, where David questions. This psalm is interesting because he doesn't question in this psalm. In other psalms, he'll say, Why? Why are you so far from helping me? Psalm 22. Why, God, are you allowing me to go through this? Psalm 63 doesn't have any of those why questions in it. In this psalm, he focuses more on the solution, on seeking God in the midst of the wilderness and reaping the benefits of that. Second application. Just as there is no reason for a thirsty man to delay drinking water when it's available, right? There's also no reason for us to delay seeking God when our spirits are parched. Early will I seek you. All right, so we've got two examples. Moses. From one end of the spectrum. Moses is from the end of the spectrum where you've got a person whose relationship with God is already solid. He's already got that closeness, speaking with God face to face like nobody else ever has. And yet he says, I'm going to pursue more. I I want to know more. I want the relationship to be deeper. So from the person who, who, from our perspective, has it all together in their relationship with God, he still wants more. David, in Psalm 63, is at the other end of the spectrum. He's going through a valley. He's going through a hard time. He's been, he's been run out of his own home and is being chased. His life is in danger. Circumstances like that, a lot of people turn away from God. They blame God. God's doing this to me, so why would I want to serve him? David, however, in the midst of that spiritual valley, in that literal and spiritual wilderness, says, my soul longs for God. I thirst for God, just like I would thirst for water in a desert. David, in a low spot, spiritually, seeks and pursues God. Moses, 
at the high end that still seeks and pursues God. What does that tell us? Well, among other things, it tells us that we should always be seeking God. We should always pursue God. And we should do that primarily because that's why we were created. So I want to close with this. Open your Bibles to the New Testament, Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. Context, this is the Apostle Paul. He's in Athens, Greece, and he has encountered some philosophers. These are philosophers that are uh, not believers in Jehovah God. They are idol worshipers, believers in false gods, the ancient Greek gods. He's encountered these philosophers, and they've begun discussing things, and he gets the opportunity, does Paul, to address them regarding the God they don't know. And that's how he introduces the whole thing. I was perusing through the streets of your fair city and and noticed these altars all over the place. And and he said, I saw one dedicated to the unknown God. Paul said, that's what I want to tell you about. I want to tell you about the one you don't know. And so he does. And he introduces them to God. And verse 24 beginning, the God who made the world, all things in it, he's Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. He's not served by human, human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And notice this. And he made from one, from one man, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, so that, verse 27. All right, let's get the, 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 the crux of, of the statement. Verse 26 He made all the nations of men that dwell on the face of the earth, verse 27, so that they would what? Seek him in the hopes that they might find him. But he's not far from any one of us. Paul said from one person, sometimes from one blood, from one individual, one person, from one... God made, ultimately, everybody that dwells on the face of the earth. Right? Isn't that true? Right? Adam, first one. From one, God made everybody that dwells on the planet. And he did that for this purpose, that they should seek him. You ever go through those any uh, period in your life when you wonder, what am I here for? I, why do I exist? Why did God give me life? Why am I here? There's your answer. Ever go through one of those periods in life where, where you know, you're trying to, you know, you're trying to find yourself, discover yourself, discover who you really are, what you are really made? There it is. And it's true for all of us. God gave you life to pursue Him. And so two things spring from that. In the first place, whenever we go through life not doing that, we are going to be unfulfilled. There's going to be something missing. There's going to be some lack of fulfillment in your life if your life is not spent in a pursuit of God. 
You ever go through life wondering, man, something's missing? <laughs> I can't put my finger on it, but something's missing. Maybe it's that. Second part of that is the positive side. If, if your life's focus is that, in the midst of everything else you do, your job, your family, your whatever, if guiding all of those pursuits is this overarching understanding and principle, I am here to pursue God, you will reach the potential that God wants you to reach in your life because you're fulfilling your purpose. You're doing what he created you to do. And there is great fulfillment to be had in that. So that's what we're going to talk about this week, the pursuit of God. Whether you feel like your relationship with God is everything that it can be right now, Moses, pursue God anyway. Whether your life is more like David, going through one of those valleys where things just don't seem to be going right, pursue God anyway. And if you are somewhere in the middle, pursue God. Because that's what he created us for. Now, as we progress through these lessons, we're going to talk about different characteristics of God that we need to better understand this morning at the worship hour, the majesty of God. We're going to talk about tonight, God willing, the grace of God, how God has been gracious to us. Tomorrow night, God willing, we'll look at the demands of God's grace. How are we to pursue God in response to his pursuit of us in being gracious to us? Right? And so we'll just kind of build on that as we go through Wednesday night. You listened well this morning, and I appreciate that very much. Thank you.